Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Wine Flight. We have a very special guest this week. Who do we have, Sophie? We have wine educator and communicator, Lee Isaacs. Hello, Lee. How Hello. Hey, I'm very Lee. well, thank you. I'm quite nervous. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm always amazed you, that... In that shirt, you don't look nervous. <laughs> well, no, that's why I wear them, you see. It hides everything else. I, I'm always amazed that somebody would ask me to do anything, actually, other than clean up or make the tea, at which I'm, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite, <laughs> you, you I'm quite good at the latter. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite good. I'm not very good at the first one, but I'm good at the latter. But I'm um, amazed that somebody would ask me to, to come and talk to them. Thank you. It's an absolute oh. pleasure. Very exciting to share some wine with you. Yeah. Well, that's that's why I'm here, really. I, I, I was told there'd be free booze. Yeah, free booze. <laughs> so I think the first time we met, was it at the IEWA or was it before? It, well, I think that was the first time we met. We connected, yeah. we'd sort of interacted before then. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was the IEWA yeah. where you Just got the to see the weakest. English of the wine awards, everybody. Yes. I love that. We, we've interacted before. That sounds very like you're two robots. It's, it's, interacted. it's, it's got to be wine Twitter. Right? It's probably wine. That's it. Have you noticed yeah. that you've never seen Ben and Optimus Prime at the same time? <laughs> yeah. there, there were probably many I good had reasons noticed for that. that. Yes, it's, it's a thing. But yeah, um, Ben got to experience the weakest of the five panel chairs at the Independent English Wine Awards. Oh, no, and and, um, and did an, uh, your back must have been hurting at the end of that day because you did a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, it was all the laughing. Bless your jing more laughing. Which leads on to the first time I met you in person. You did a comedy sort of stand-up thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. My, my, I mean, most critics haven't established whether it's supposed to be funny or not, but uh, it, it was a thing. It was, uh, saying it was, it was a thing, thing is, is entirely accurate. But it was accurate. at a wine event. It was at a wine event and it was, it was, it was supposed to be stand-up comedy, which is a movable thing as to what that is, but a stand-up comedy show about wine. And because I realised that effectively my entire career has been a stand-up comedy show heavily based around wine. Okay. And I just, I, um, when I first did comedy, I was dreadful. And obviously you saw me, so I was even worse than that before, <laughs> if you can imagine something worse than that. And then I realised, well, why don't I just talk about stuff I know instead of trying to write funny jokes? I, you know, when you've been in an industry for so long, things have happened that will be inherently amusing. Um, like, you know, being sick on Sting. Um, <laughs> it still doesn't respond to my emails. But yeah, I, I just thought, well, I'll do that and do that as a stand-up show. So yeah, the UK Wine Hour back in 2018, yes. I think it was. Wow, yeah. which is a long time ago. Before P. Before yeah, the be, pandemic. Before that. Before <laughs> that. P. P. <laughs> yes. There were a lot of people during my set that were going out for a peep. Uh, interestingly, well, making excuses. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, he looks like he's going to go on for another twenty-five minutes. I must leave this room. Well, that's that's normal. That's, I remember uh, being good. Oh, thank you, thank you. We we all write our own narrative, don't we? I came out of that. It was a a thirty-minute stream of uninterrupted wine joke-based success. Yeah, so, you were happy. It. So, did the comedy come before the world of wine, or were you working in wine and doing stand-up by night? I I, I was working in wine first. I've, I've had quite a long interest in comedy now now that I think about it you know I've, I've sort of always found things funny or tried to find things funny and, and you know comedy was something that was always on the if it's on the television it was on our television um, and I so I started working in wine and my default settings I'm naturally very introverted very quiet I'm, I'm painfully shy in my true environment started working in wine and realized I wanted to make a career in it but I wanted to make a career in talking to people, which was mm. my worst fear, was talking to mm. people. So I started trying to do some tastings and presentations, didn't know what I was doing, wasn't very good at them. And at some point I went, why don't I, you know, I like comedy. I, try, I like to think I can write jokes, which I can't. Um, <laughs> I, uh, and I knew that back then, I just ignored that as a fact. 
Uh, and thought, why don't I do stand-up comedy? Because I'll learn something from the, the, the creative process, yes, but I'll learn something from getting on stage and having a room full of people stare at me in silence or perhaps shout gross abuse at me. Uh, so in many ways, it's just like being at home, really. Um, but that the reason I, I started to do comedy was tr to try and make myself a better communicator and to learn, actually to learn about if I've got something I want to say, how can I say that to people in the way... I would like to say it mm. and that's how I got into comedy and they didn't do like it as a personal challenge to kind of yeah face your fears yeah definitely I was awful at public speaking didn't enjoy it and the prospect of stand up and talk to these, these people or even a, a scenario like this where there's just a, you know a few of us in a room that would fill me with dread mm. genuinely absolute terror I, I just didn't want to do it so I thought well it, it can't really there's one thing that would be harder than stand-up comedy in that aspect and that would be a children's entertainer and there's absolutely no way I'm doing that <laughs> at all that's not happening um, but it was I suppose facing, I didn't think about it as facing fears I thought I saw it as a, as a process where I could learn something and I figured that would be the best way to learn and I did learn I had a lot of shocking gigs um, a lot of silence oh. a lot of heckles but y you do you do learn from it because yeah. sometimes you'll go well I, I have this joke that works but I did it on a different night and it didn't work so I know the joke itself is funny, so what was it? did I change the way I delivered it? Was it, or how would the crowd that I've got this evening, yeah. how could I pitch that joke to them differently? That sounds like a really healthy way of being able to step back and analyse it that in that way, technically, rather than taking it really personally. It feels like you're sort of putting on like a firefighter's suit, like if you go out on stage and it's like, come on, give, make, me, give me a best. You're making me sound very brave and courageous, two things I'm absolutely not. I'm, I'm an abject coward, as, as my very close friends and my family will, will tell you. But I do, I, I, I do, I suppose, assess stuff because I'm quite introverted, so I tend to, you, and we all do it. It's seen as an introverted characteristic, but I think we all do it where we say something stupid on the bus mm. or to a stranger and then the next morning in the shower going, why did I say oh, that stupid yeah, yeah. thing? So I, I do that anyway. But I, I did it for a long time like that, and then I tried to go, if I'm doing that, if my energy's going that way, why don't I try and like, use it rather than just sit and worry about mm -hmm. the thing I said? Why don't I try and figure out why I'm worrying about it or how to not say it again next time okay. in that scenario? Well, as, so you're a self-professed introvert, so just to get to know you better in a quick <laughs> amount of time, I've got a few questions, <laughs> oh, I love quick that. fire questions for you. <laughs> So, if there was a hair in your soup at a restaurant, would you return it? The whole soup or just the hair? Because <laughs> <laughs> actually it's the soup, it's the soup that I wanted, the hair could be it's like an extra me, sir. freebie. I, <laughs> I might just go, look, somebody might need that. Um, would I return it? Y yes, I, I probably would post-pandemic thinking about hygiene. It's going to happen. I, I'd return it, but I'd do it in the nicest way possible and make sure that you know, I'm not really trying to complain or make a fuss, because that would be horrible. <laughs> okay. Um, ask permission or beg forgiveness? The real me would say ask permission. The person I'm at strong risk of becoming would be <laughs> beg forgiveness. There's a great Al Pacino quote, isn't there, where he says, um, I prayed to God for a bike and then realised God didn't work that way, so I stole a bike and prayed for forgiveness. <laughs> um, so that shows you where my head's going in the current climate. There you go. Finally, there'll be more later. Um, do you find handlebar moustaches to be handsome? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd love to grow one, but it wouldn't suit me. Um, and, I, and I can't actually grow facial hair very well.
Fair enough. My wife's is then wonderful. Then if you just... <laughs> if you just... Nah, you could, I can see the handle on massage. Because you've sort of got the beard and the So I think we should move to some wine. wine. <laughs> Time to change the conversation. <laughs> I was at the tasting last week, the ferment tasting. Um, and there was a guy, which is awful of me, I forget his name, but I'm, I'm really not very good with names. So it's, I hope the gentleman wouldn't take it personally. He was a Hungarian gentleman do, giving a, a masterclass on Hungarian wines and locality. And he had the most extravagant, wonderful handlebar and stuff. Oh. But it, was, it was extravagant, but subtle simultaneously. It was incredible. I think you find them handsome. I do. Yeah. If Ryan Reynolds had a handlebar moustache, double well, I'd, I'd be nice <laughs> all the time, all the time. Okay. okay. So. so, moving on to wine. <laughs> um, that was my wine that made a big noise because big, heavy South African wine. <laughs> so, I have a Croatian wine for you. Do you like Croatian wine? I've not had a huge amount of experience with Croatian wine. Okay. Wow. So this is a posip. Um, which is a very interesting grape from the south of the country in Dalmatia. And I, I quite like Posset because it's one of these Mediterranean grape varieties that keeps a lot of freshness in the glass as well. Okay. So it will have a good kick of oomph, but also a nice bit of freshness. I tr first tried Posset from a winery called Testament in Dalmatia. And then this one is from St. Hills, Saints Hills, uh, which is also in Dalmatia. But you've got loads of heat there, and then you've got quite old goblet vines and lots of kind of breeze from the Adriatic Sea okay. and that sort of thing. But so loads mm. of lovely sunshine. Possip is, is that a variety that grows somewhere else by another name, or is it as well, far as we this know? This is it's... very much Croatian. Wow. Okay. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you for joining us. No, me. thank you for thank you for inviting me to sully your fine show. <laughs> is it possip? Or with a P or T? Um, so, because I'm English and rubbish at pronouncing things. So. I don't know. This is <laughs> not a leading question. I don't know the answer. Uh, it's possip to me. Okay. <laughs> or possibly could be. Because it's that whole thing of um, when someone influences your brain. I'm smelling lemon possip. That's all oh, I know. I it was where exactly where I went, and then that yeah. went to syllabub, and everybody goes, "What is a syllabub?" Nobody actually knows what a syllabub is. It's just a word we've on. Nobody knows what one is. No. But, um, this is oh, posh possip. I mean, that's like a a fresh summer's day near the coast, isn't it? And Ooh, it's got that. that. It's in that there's when we, we we spend quite a bit of time in Cornwall. I used to live in Cornwall. Uh, I don't anymore. I lived in Cornwall for five years. My mum still lives there, so it's a cheap holiday, basically. But there's, there's a couple of places we go by the coast, which we, we don't go for the beach, but we go for like that, that sort of like granitic cliff, and then you've got all that sort of shrub in the background. And on a lovely summer's day, it's like that's that, that freshness here. Like salinity of the sea, but you've got a nice slightly herbal. That's not herbal, it's herbaceous. Mm. They've yeah. got lovely fruit in there as well, and it's, it's gently warm fruit. And now I can smell like the rugged coastline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there, I am the there. The has been painted. I think as well, when you move to a warmer, sunny area, the orchard fruits move into like green pineapple, mm, it's like the mm. green mango and that sort of thing. So it's still orchard fruits Definitely. world, but it's tropical it's, tones. Yeah. It's kind of like tropical fruit skin, isn't it? And that, yeah. that acidity, that's got a lovely acid line. It's really, it's linear and it's fresh. And I, I've used that word already, saline, which is, it's not a problematic word in my, it's just because it's difficult to sum up, but it's that electric sort of acidity that really brightens and freshens everything mm. up. So you get that, that lovely combination of going from the, like the mountain hilltop herbaceousness to 
Wow, like jumping in, so yeah. jumped up into the sea, and it's just like it yeah, it has all of that, and it has weight to it as well, mm. which is mm. kind of like my brain is sort of trying to balance those two things because, mm. yeah, it has it's got this sort of full body and um, like an, an, a bit of an oiliness as well, like that texture. It's not interesting to get those those two things together because we think of like wines as being like quite big and broad, all linear and light, and um you know, really refreshing, but actually to get both. I, now that you've mentioned oiliness, that way it's sort of gently coating my palate and that's bringing, to continue the nautical theme, it's bringing sort of waves of those fruits. So I get hit with that orchard and you said like green pineapple. I'm picking that like an almost a bit of melon skin, papaya skin. Mm -hmm. And that's as long as the day. Mm -hmm. That is. Mm -hmm. Which, that's you know, wonderful. Afternoon in the Dalmatian sun on the banks of the Croatian Sea. I could the banks. Yeah. I could. I could. The be, banks of the sea. I could be transported there right now to those banks. That's um, fabulous. And you know, someone who's I, I've worked in wine. Well, I've worked in wine. For, I don't really do anything. I've been in wine for a very long time. I did wine. Um, to try one of the allures of wine is is when you're able to find something you've not had before. Mm. And sometimes that could be a mainstream variety, but from an unusual unusual place in inverted commas because it's not unusual to the people that live there, is it? <laughs> Um, or, or, you know, some, when you discover something like that, just poss it, you know, I've not mm -hmm. seen, I didn't even know there was a great variety mm -hmm. called that, you know, that's, um, that's wonderful. Yeah. And I think wow. like, so St. Hills, they're quite a premium winery out there. So the, you know, pretty fine wines mm. and really putting Croatia on the map to, to show people that actually we can do things mm. in a really refined way. Yeah. I think mm. as well, it being a Dalmatian wine, it's actually quite refreshing. It hasn't got tons of alcohol in it because yep. a lot of the southern Croatian wines, they're all hitting 14 to 16.5% and they're big, big wines. That's hefty. This is 13, so it's still for a white, pretty. Yeah, it handles it well, though. Yeah, really. Well. Um, and I think it's interesting. We see sort of consumers slowly starting to think about maybe drinking wines with a bit less alcohol in them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, certainly, obviously, I, I talk about Argentina a lot, but oh, it's all 14, 15 percent. It, it, it isn't, you know, a lot of it has been. But seeing whites, say 13 for a white, still going to be hefty, but it handles it so mm -hmm. well. You're not, you know, it's not tiring my palate out, mm. and partly it's got that wonderful freshness to it. Yeah. But that's um, what an absolute joy. Yeah, so, so we know how musical you are. Um, no, you've got the wrong guess. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to sing. But if that one was a genre of music, can you um, Ooh, tell us what genre that would be? Laid-back jazz. Laid-back jazz. Yeah, definitely. Because it's it's cool and it knows it's cool, <laughs> but it's not trying to tell you it's cool. Have you got um, a song in mind? Do you know what I'm? Uh, what what I've I haven't got a specific song, but I've got an album. I've got Miles Davis kind of blue. Oh yeah. Which I mean, that's a default album for me anyway. But I could see me putting that because that just again, it's effortless. It's effortlessly cool, and yeah. it's laid back. What about it, um, Chris Rear at the beach or on the beach? That yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Soho is coming out with their own track in the background. <laughs> the beach, yeah, it? That's, that's the, the, uh, the flute yeah. coming from the, 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 the Soho um, High The Soho Symphony, I believe that's. Uh, <laughs> I believe that's referred to Chris Rear. It's a good chat. Very underrated musician. Mm, and everyone just thinks of driving home for Christmas. That's, that's it. Um, a brilliant musician. Right, yeah, I just, when you said laid back drives, I thought that, but yeah, yeah. Miles Davis can that one. I was really put on the spot there. <laughs> oh, oh, there's more of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so, how do you feel about South African wines? I bloody love it, Dan. Yeah? South Africa, it's a really important country to me. I, my best friend is from the Karoo. I've spent a lot of time <laughs> uh, yeah, around South Africans, eating a lot of dry, drinking loads of kif, that kif wine. Hey, I, um, That's good, yeah. I love South African wine. Okay. I, yeah, I That's get very, I very excited. <laughs> very excited. You can All right, you do then. a Croatian accent. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. It's, it's a, uh, no. <laughs> oh, well, I'm afraid you've lost I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll have to talk to my agent about that. You know, but, uh, I wouldn't know what a Croatian accent sounds like, actually, to be able to even attempt to, to, yeah. uh, to insult the wonderful people of Croatia. Uh, and apologies to the wonderful people of South Africa with me mangling your beauty. It's a beautiful accent. Yeah. And obviously it depends where in South Africa you are, so it gets a, it's a bit like, you know, the difference between Northern and Southern Ireland, slightly, slightly harder, constants are slightly softer, but I could listen to someone speak in a South African accent all really? day long. I just think it's wonderful. I said, my best friend is from the Karoo, and he, he can't tell jokes, well, I can't tell jokes because my jokes aren't funny. He just can't tell jokes because he cannot tell jokes. <laughs> it's not, a, I tried to teach him a joke, we were doing a tasting together, and I said, right, it's really simple, I'll give you, all you do is you stand up and say, I've got a three-word joke stationary store moves and he went it's not funny oh, and i didn't say it was but it's a three-word joke just to say that he got up mid through midway through the tasting and said oh i think my friend al has something to say and he went yeah right Dave. so there was this little store where you go to buy pens and pencils and paper and things anyway <laughs> due to prevailing economic conditions it had to relocate like, what what have you done what are you doing what? tell a story ah oh, hours and hours <laughs> hours and hours it's like a strangely meta version of the joke. Yeah, <laughs> like I, think, I think you would appreciate that better. I would, yeah. Ben's, Ben's guy. Ben's his audience. <laughs> okay, so we have my offering, which is Constitution Road Chardonnay 2021 from the Cape of Good Hope. It's from Robertson Winery. Very reputable winery. Um, they've been going for many years and making very excellent wines mm. so this is a um podcast before this one um i show i wanted to show um nikki that chardonnay can be light and chardonnay oh. can be crisp and i showed uh, margaret river chardonnay from robert oatley and it was you know really light fresh crisp um you know not just a hint of oak a wisp of oak this is opposite this is big bold buttery that this is a roast chicken chardonnay yeah. um really ripe fruits so ripe even i was gonna say ripe apple but even like apple pie um mm -hmm. stewed apple with that buttery pastry as well it's unapologetically chardonnay without the astringent oak <laughs> so you, you've just given the exactly almost word for word the tasting note that was going through my head was the, the first thing i was apple pie yeah. and then almost like a my mum would bake a lot when I was growing up, so there's apple pie, but then there's like key lime pie things also. You've got the Ooh. pastry thing in common, but you've got that meringue. lime freshness, meringue. Mm. Um, again, so that, that's like sort of stepping foot into my childhood kitchen, um, which is, you know, that's happy memories for most of us, I think, isn't it? You know, mum's apple pie, that, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, I, there's, there's a really interesting conversation there about, oh, you know, oak and it's all too much. It's like, well, no, it's not a bad thing. It's just we got fed up with it. You know, wine shouldn't, wine should be unapologetically what they are. And if you've got to produce, I've got big enough fruit. I understand oak. I like the inherent flavours of that. 
I'm going to put all that together. You've got that big fruit underneath it. Yeah. You know, there's, there's layers of oak here, but ultimately the fruit still leads. Mm-hmm. And it's, when I'm, when I'm tasting a wine, uh, and this is obviously only for me, if I'm tasting a wine and the oak leads, I don't think that's great. It should be fruit first, then mm. oak. And I do go, well, maybe this wine's just too young and the oak's a bit too dominant or it's, it's not been that well made. The fruit comes first here and it's just... That's just an explosion in, a, in an orchard, isn't it? It's yeah, but like Chantilly cream, like that mm. like cream with vanilla, like pod, and, um, and it's kind of like a fat wine, <laughs> like fat on the palate, yeah. like wide and just opulent and generous. It's rich, it's broad, and it doesn't leave any part of your palate untouched. It's actively seeking out mm. every side of your palate. I'm going to get, I've got a flavour here, yeah. and I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. That, you said roast chicken, that's, I was, I was working on a piece yesterday, I'm presenting, I'm lecturing at Regent's University later this week, and I was trying to build a presentation about food matching, like the obvious or key food matches students should know, like really good oaky buttery chardonnay and roast chicken. Yeah. Mm. That's or raclette. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> we all, we all go to Ben's afterwards. Right, for, <laughs> is that what right? About roast yeah. chicken and then we dip the chicken into the raclette. Like just the whole chicken, <laughs> right? And we get a whole chicken each. And it'd be like, I don't like Conan the Barbarian just like <laughs> And a bottle of oat chardonnay each just to drink yeah. out the bottle directly because it has oh, to fit, fit the oh, moment. Yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, God bless. 100%. 100%. <laughs> there we go. We've got really primal with this wine. <laughs> I think um, generally my palate leads to lighter, freshly wines now. With a lot of people, that seems to be the trend. But because I generally will pick those wines and forget about those old kind of these are buttery but butter bombs mm, that's a good mm. word just it. then when i taste one again i'm like oh yeah it has always a place for I, I get that like um occasionally i get a hanker the, the the wine that got me into wine really was australian shiraz and occasionally i get a hankering for that like just that big sweet like the, the way it was made in the 80s and 90s uh, to the point where I, I have a glass of it and go oh, i can't face that for another six months because like everything's mm. just dialed up mm. but that one glass is like oh that just again it's I think wine should be transportative, mm-hmm. um, and that's, you know, sometimes that's what you what you're looking for. But that that's got, it's got delicacy underneath it. It's got fresh mm-hmm. acidity, so yeah, it's a big buttery creamy thing. But it's it's got some nice acidity under there as well. Mm-hmm. I Two get cracking wines. I'm I'm coming again. This is brilliant. Thank <laughs> you. You've got to choose a favourite at the end. At the oh, end, sure. I get a, a bit of stick from people not in the wine trade who I drink wine with where I start talking about types of apple but for me that's moving into like pink lady apple oh yeah Yeah. nice sweet yeah yeah and or maybe even a bruised pink lady apple particularly whiny about (laughs) (laughs) um but also loads of pear for me I get loads of pear off the chardonnay when it's from a slightly warmer uh, mm. riper kind of style you get yep. moving yeah. to that really nice soft white pear fruit which is yeah, yeah. do you have I, an interest yeah. in apples <laughs> I, I do actually because what, what, well the thing is i always ate apples yeah. and then there's a moment when you're starting out in wine where you're like i don't eat enough fruit and think about all the flavors right because mm. everyone goes about everything they try and 
Oh. And then I went away and I ate lots of different types of fruit and wrote notes on the different types of fruit. Oh, and then I licked rocks that, and all that, that makes crap. Sense. Yeah, like there must be more people with <laughs> licked rocks. Right? Here <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you do all that crap and then you go, okay, I know what those things are. And then you realise that actually it's just. So when you have. When you're doing a tasting, it's all the same wine, basically. It's all very similar stuff. And then you're trying to explain the differences from mm -hmm. one wine to the next. Mm -hmm. That's when all the vocab starts coming in. And then the more you've eaten and tasted and have in your library, the more you can kind of go, oh, it's more mm. that way rather than that way. Yeah. yeah. Which is useless to most people. It's not everyone else has licked rocks and eaten every time of I, I, I get asked that, <laughs> especially when I'm teaching especially when teaching WSET, which is obviously a very specific lexicon you need people to understand. And almost every course that I've ever taught, you know, how do you access all these, you know, how do you know all these flavours in inverted commas? And partly I respond to going, oh, this is all I've ever done, so I should be able to do it. But if you want to learn, when you're doing your shopping, don't just pick up a bunch of bananas and stick it in your trolley, pick it up and, like, when I do the shopping, it takes four times longer than it should do. Because, oh, we <laughs> need some apples, everything. I wonder what they smell like. You, when I make my you coffee, you're not in the allowed morning. to go during the pandemic. <laughs> no, no, I can't do that. It's, um, There's a man smelling fruit. I mean, my, my, my wife can take a long time to do shopping. I, I can take even longer because it's just that. Like when I open the packet of coffee to make a coffee, I, st I, I make a point of I've got to stick my nose in this one yeah. because otherwise I don't have that bank of flavours to refer to. So, it, yeah. as you say, to most people, it's not like licking rocks. I'm yeah. a big fan of that. <laughs> I actually once identified blind where a rock could come from. Really? What? Yeah. I mean, it was pretty obvious. It was, it was like a piece of slate. So it was like, it's in like three or four places this could be, but I, did, I, I played along a little bit, like, licked the rock and was like, that's Moselle, isn't it? Uh, yes. I actually <laughs> had that in my mind because I thought slate. Yeah. yeah. So it was like a, it was kind of obvious. Really. Stra <laughs> strange offshoot of the World Sommelier Wine Competition. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think we've got to spend go, go, all day licking rocks. Rocks. Got some, I should say I didn't have any toys as a child. Well, <laughs> I live by Brighton Beach, so that will take me a while to get through that. I think. <laughs> yeah, I'll invite luck. you there next it's time. It's a lot of rocks. Yeah, right? a, lot, yeah. a lot of pebbles. Um, you invite us mm. there, we'll go to a restaurant where you lick through your, the beach and then we'll yeah, come back when you're finished and you can <laughs> yeah. tell us, like, tell us what you've learned. <laughs> <laughs> Three stars. <laughs> okay, right, red wine. Right, Are you more now. on the red or the white side, generally? Or do you like both? I, I'm a wine lover, so I... I you know, red, white. I do drink a bit more red than white. Yeah, okay. Generally. Interesting. Um, what have you yeah. got over there, Sophia? Mine is quite a big Shiraz. Okay, why don't we start with a lovely 2018 Rioja. Do you like Rioja? I love Rioja. Excellent. Thank you. It was the first wine I felt, I, as much as anybody can understand anything, especially where wine is concerned, Rioja was the first wine I felt I understood. So I started in the wine industry, didn't know anything about wine. I was 18, I was really green. Started, I, I started with Bordeaux because I thought, well, that's probably the most famous wine region. Well, I should have understood that. I couldn't get my head around it because I just didn't grow up drinking those kinds mm. of wines. I grew up drinking Aussie Shiraz. So I didn't understand all the terminology, the legislation. So I thought, well, I'll go to this Rioja place. And that was, on paper, it was much simpler. There's, there's like, mm -hmm. how long has it been in the oak? That gives it some terms. It's like, there's basically one region. It's like three bits, but you just need to know the one region. Mm -hmm. So Rioja was the first one. I drank a lot of Rioja. It was the first region. I went, I think I can have a handle on that what those wines do, what they're yeah. supposed to do. It, was, it just felt a lot simpler to access mm. in that sense. We, um, were, we were having a Ribera de Juero a couple of episodes ago and I was talking about a similar thing where the first classic wine region I kind of really enjoyed noticing the differences and nuances for was Rioja. Mm -hmm. 
and then I went completely off it for several years. And now that yeah. I'm going back to classics yeah. again to you know do other things, um, Ryoka has been one of those ones that I kind of gone, oh yeah, no, I'm enjoying yeah. this again. And this is a single vineyard, quite a large single vineyard, up to three hundred thousand bottles in this vintage. Um, but it's a blend of Tempranillo, Grenache, or Garnacha, so I should say, Mazzuela and Graciana. I love the very precise red fruits mm. in that. Like that's the first hit that you get, and it's the mouth-watering and juicy and just focused. Yeah, and it's bringing that Garnacha cherry into that strawberry note as well, which is yeah. which I love because yeah. Tempranillo on its own, I'm, t I'm too into the strawberry. It's yeah. too notable, whereas this has enough other stuff going on, which I think is lovely. It's mm. great. But what it, do you think? It's really wonderful, as you said, Sophia. Lovely defined red fruit, but it again there's, there's freshness to it. So I feel like I'm kind of picking those berries straight off the bush just as they're ready first thing in the morning. There's a little bit of like morning dew on them. I can sort of feel it on my fingers as I stick my nose in and get that smell. And then you've got all of that. And then interestingly, I, I said a moment ago, you know, I think the fruit should lead. And I think you've got, um, I think you said there's some sort of Graciano and Mathuelo in here, and it you get that like crap pepper spice and cumin spice and almost something slightly so it's not coriander it's not that but there's something like that then you start to experience the oak mm. and in as you you know you said ben you sort of went off rioca for a bit i did the same and I, I partly put that down to i drank loads of it um and we all get bored don't we we get sort of palate mm. fatigue or um sensory specific satiety as i believe it's referred oh. to uh, Harold Moskovitz, brilliant read on a Saturday night. Okay. I'm, I'm great fun on a Saturday <laughs> night. There's a reason my wife goes to bed really early and it's not because she starts work at Sydney o'clock in the morning. It's because I don't want to have to put up with listening to him drone on about whatever this thing is. Um, I love the idea of Sophia going on a beach licking rocks and reading all these obscure wine books. We are the and people just to have fun with. That, is it? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? You're going out clubbing? Loser. Um, <laughs> I don't know what clubbing's like. I don't know Clearly, never do done it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm so out of touch now. <laughs> no, we don't do that. We go breathing car exhaust. Hey, hey, whatever you do for fun. But you, you know, you get all of that wonderful bright red fruit and then that spice and then that oak comes in. But it's, it's like building really. So it's not like bang, here's some oak. It's like, do you want a little bit of vanilla? Like, just try a little bit. Here it is, I'm giving you a little bit of vanilla. Mm. Oh, I'm giving you a little bit of clover. And there's a bit of toasted mm, coconut. Sounds like a and it jug just, pusher. It's like all sorts <laughs> of... Go. Give you the bit, first bit for free. You know, the, yeah, <laughs> you can have a little bit. It's, it's like Hansel and Gretel or something, isn't it? Um, it's like the, um, you know, the Disney film Ratatouille. I, I, I talk about that a lot when I'm teaching about the moment that the, the food critic eats the Ratatouille and there's that crash zoom like, right into his eye and his memory. But there's a bit before that when... Um, I forget the, the central character's name now, but the, 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 the rat is trying to teach his friend how to taste food and he sort of puts this piece of cheese in his mouth and there's all these fireworks and stuff. Mm. And that was animated by a guy with synesthesia. And he said, like, when I taste food, that's what happens. Um, now, I, I don't have synesthesia, but, like, this just feels like that explosion of, of wow. colour. That, I don't know how we beat this then. Um, <laughs> That's pretty good. So also, amazing. we mentioned synesthesia like a couple of episodes ago, and Jess from Mouse and Grape mentioned that exact scene in Ratatouille. Oh, yes, she did. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Jess from Mouse and Grape. 
massive fan. Yeah. Massive she's fan. She's great. She's brilliant. And she right. brought us cheese too on the podcast. Oh. So at the moment, she's uh, more of our favourite. Heroic. heroic. <laughs> I, I've got like posters of Jess up in, in, in our room. You know, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, you know, Jeff. Orson Welles. Jess. I'm, I'm better too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On the, tell you what, on the palette, like soft, smooth, mm. delicate, elegant. Sophisticated. Basically, it's the it's the wine opposite of mm-hmm. me, right? Oh, <laughs> but sorry, it, I agreed it, a bit too quickly. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I, I thought you were going to say opposite what lots of people think Rioja is. It, this is so. I think one of the reasons I, I sort of one of the reasons I stopped drinking Rioja when I did partly because I drank so much of it and I got a little bit bored. I started to see that really modern style of Rioja, like quite big, quite extracted, quite. I don't want to say Parkerized, but Parkerized. Mm. Um, and that didn't do it for me because in my head I was going, that's not what I expect a Rioja. It doesn't mean you can't make it. It's not, it's not that it isn't a valid style. It's just not what I personally expect a Rioja to be. Mm. So when you come back and you taste something like that, that's, that takes me back. I used to work for a very short time for a company called Lamont and Shaw. And they were the agent for La Rioja Alta. And Lamont Shaw mm-hmm. time, based out of um, what is now Old Chapel Wine Cellars in Truro in Cornwall. I remember walking in there, and there's a little shop, and you go into the back, and you, you're in a, like a, just you're in a church, an old chapel, with a, this wonderful sort of um, balcony area that goes all the way around the top, and this smell of old wood, because there was the old wood that it was constructed from, and the old wood of the cases. And it, not that this smells or feels like old wood, but it takes me back to that, oh. being in old chapel cellars about a million years ago. There you go. Wow. That is hey, oh, immense. Palette explosion. We've got nostalgia. I know. I don't know how I'm going to beat this. That is the, beat. That is the only cracking. thing that could beat that is the Barossa Shiraz. <laughs> <laughs> you started with a B and that was good because there's loads of Bs. Right? <laughs> Barolo, Barbaresco. But no, no, no. Sorry. It's the Barossa Shiraz. So okay. it is from St. Hallett, which is a really great producer. Um, it's called, um, the wine's called Faith, Shiraz 2020, so got a few years on it, um, but it is going to be your pretty much um, traditional expression of Barossa Shiraz, I think, but... Do you know what? You I'd, I've got into wine trade properly, 2015, been on the, before that, Waitrose wine department as a student. I think the last time I tasted Barossa Shiraz, and this might be terrible actually, but the last time I tasted it was probably 2015. <gasps> wow! Seven, Almost 10 seven, years, years ago. ago yeah. Wow, that Croatian wine isn't going to experience itself. I mean, you're working your way through <laughs> yeah. that first, right? But isn't that mad? I mean, you talk to most people that in wine, mad. and they've probably had a Barossa once a year or something at least. Yeah. And I have not had a Barossa in seven years, so this, this better be good. <laughs> oh, let's hope so. Well, because it, it, a bit like the Rioja thing. You know, yeah. I drank loads of Rioja, so stopped. I got into wine seriously through, it was Australian wine that I grew up drinking, really. Mm. That, and that mm. was... The, when you, you say know, you grew up drinking, how old were you when you started to drink wine? Well, um, is Esther Ranson still working? I think she's retired, it's fine. <laughs> um, I, I was sort of first exposed to wine about the age of five. Okay. I know, I know. Because you had Shiraz you, as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty punchy. Well, my, my first exposure to alcohol was similar to, to my own son. I was teething, a little bit of whiskey on a, oh, yeah. on a dummy. Um, so I had that. That's, that's not uncommon. Um, but I was encouraged to taste a very small amount of usually white wine. And I'd taste it first, like literally it would sort of touch my lips. Mm. And then that was topped up with water or lemonade. 
and those ratios changed the more drunk my parents got, the older I became. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you, were your parents quite whiny then? Um, no. It, it, my parents liked drinking nice wines, but they, they weren't what I call wine. So, my, my, it was primarily my father who was the wine drinker. My mother drank it, but my father had a bit more interest. Mm-hmm. But my father was the kind of wine drinker that today I, I would expect him he might, might come into an independent wine shop but he'd only go in there once or twice a year mm-hmm. he'd buy everything from the, from the supermarket most of the time once or twice a year I'd go into this independent wine shop and would say I don't really know anything about wine but I know Chateau Neuf de Pape is good and go that's really powerful that's a mm. great thing you know, why is it good oh, I don't know I just know it's good mm. so there would be a little bit of confidence there but not, a, not an ignorance or an arrogance so my father would open Bottles of wine, you know, we grew up drinking everyday wines. We, occasionally there'd be a Chateauneuf de Pape, but I didn't know what Claret was. I'd, I'd never heard of Burgundy or Barolo. We drink, you know, drinking very, I suppose the equivalents of like Castellero del Diablo today, but Hardy's, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But he'd open it and it was always, it was never just about drinking or consuming alcohol, ever. Mm-hmm. And my, my old man was, probably for a part of his life, was a functioning alcoholic, I imagine, at, at, at one point, because he grew up, my father was, was mm-hmm. quite an old father. So he grew up in an age where you went to work and then you went to the pub and that, yeah. that, that, that was it. So you'd drink quite a lot, but you, you know, you never missed a day's work, nothing like that. Um, but drinking was always, he, he never just drank something for the sake of drinking. It was always for the experience of drinking it, uh, whether it was whiskey, beer, wine. Didn't see a lot of much else in the house that I recall. occasionally make the odd cocktail, but um, mm. it was always about, you know, what is this? And it, he didn't know a great deal, but he'd say, oh, this comes from like a part of South Australia. We, we spent some time in Australia. Uh, when I was growing up so it'd be like oh this comes from near where our family live or this goes really well with the the beef we're having for dinner so it's helping you make those links outside of what's in the glass definitely it was never and and the whole reason my parents got me into it so young um, I don't think they expected that I'd try and make a career out of it but their their idea was if I'm exposed to alcohol and I'm allowed alcohol Mm -hmm. it's not hidden it's not yeah. kept away from it, but perhaps I wouldn't go crazy. Well, the jokes on them, I did go crazy. I joined the industry, but I never did that. <laughs> you know, going and buying a cheap bottle of vodka, sit in the park, and consume it on a brown mm-hmm. paper bag. And anybody that has done that, I'm not judging them. Um, I'm saying that because it's being recorded. I'm judging them hugely, but um, <laughs> I, I'm not. You know, I, I, I never did that, and and so I've never. There's only been there's been a few occasions when I've realised I was drinking for the sake of drinking. Uh, and I give myself a really hard time about that because it's something in our industry we should be a lot more conscious of. We mm. should talk about a lot mm-hmm, more than mm-hmm. we do. Um, was there a piece by Guy Woodward wrote a piece about that sort of uh, thing yeah, recently? Did, yeah. I, th- I think it was Guy. But it's something we should talk about a bit more. But there's been very few occasions when I found myself drinking for the sake of drinking. And, and actually then I go, right, I'm not going to touch wine for at least a month. I'm just going to... Or alcohol. Right. Because that's the wrong motivation for drinking. It's never been a problem it's never got in the way of anything but just occasionally there was a time when uh so we got married my wife was still in argentina waiting on the visa she was pregnant we you know so she's in argentina i'm in england it's like are you are you are we going to get here in time if not i need to come thinking i've got to be there for birth or whatever and it was christmas and it was really awful and i remember getting through christmas and i was in the indie trade at the time and i loved it and it was really busy but i sort of got to the first or second of january and went i've drunk a lot of wine and then i went I've kind of been drinking that for the sake because it was there and because I was tired and I was used to it. What, as a new dad? As well? Um, well, no, so it was just, it was before oh, my son before. was born and, and before Adriana, and then because we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, it's like, right. will Adriana get her visa in time to be in the UK? And I didn't drink huge, huge amounts, but it was the fact that 
actually, maybe you were leaning on it as a, uh, yeah, a bit yeah, of a yeah. It was a bit of a crutch. It's like I'm so used to drinking, and it's I, I'm I'm like my mental health wasn't in a good place, mm. and I've kind of because that's always been a wine's always been a constant for me and a, and a friend. I've never relied on it, but I realised at that point it's like I'm latching out for something oh, that's yeah. consistent. Yeah, and wine is consistent, and that's not a good thing to rely on to be consistent. So I, so I took um, probably the best part of a couple of months of just I just want to get away from it, from mm-hmm. alcohol, mm-hmm. so I know that it's not a problem and it's been yeah. It's been fine. So it's you never know what relationship you have with it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really important, and it's partly it comes down to I, I hear a lot, and it, <laughs> it it's difficult to deliver because it makes me sound like people. It makes me sound like I'm going, people don't appreciate me, and that's not what I'm saying. It's, although they don't, but they shouldn't. <laughs> uh, there's not a lot to appreciate. But occasionally, I'm, I'm sure you, you find it as well. Oh, you work in wine trade, you must drink all the time. It's like, that mm. is really not why I do this. Mm. Yeah. Like, this is, it's got nothing. If they could make this and it tasted as good as it does without the alcohol, which they demonstrably cannot do, yeah, that'd be great. But we can't. It's not because of the alcohol. It's because this is a transformative, transportive, incredible experience. Mm-hmm. But, because, oh, you just, you know... Swan around the world drinking wine. Like, yeah, that's but really very not, few not people what we do. can work. You know, I'm not Ben. Drunk. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you, well, thank do you think it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting dilemma, is it? Because I believe that I drink for taste, and actually, mm-hmm. the excitement around wine and whiskey and those things, particularly to me, is discovering new tastes and then having the conversation of people and place and all that sort of stuff. And my preference is that wine is something that is second. I think Alicia said something very nice about um, it kind of being there, but actually it's more about the people you're sharing with at the moment mm. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. However, is alcohol a part of that? Do you think the... The um, bonding. The bonding, I think, yeah, the I, d- I think l- that. loosening yeah. up the, the... I don't think to excess, but I think mm-hmm. there's probably an argument yeah. that part of that is why I, people drink. But mm-hmm. I, then I would say... You can separate, I, I compartmentalise a bit, I think, and I separate work from pleasure. Yeah. And being out with friends, that there's that bonding experience, there's drinking and enjoying mm-hmm. that bit of alcohol and all of that. That's totally different from being at home and assessing a wine and yeah. assessing its quality and being mm-hmm. able to give feedback to a producer. You know, that's um, that's work and pleasure yeah. separated. Does, does alcohol's you know definitely a factor and it's nice when you get that you know i like to drink really good coffee and part of the reason you know you get that little buzz and but that that little buzz is a part of the overall experience and i think it's about what you make of so wine for me is the ultimate experiential thing that's out there and it's experiential because it's wine is kind of beauty from science right it's beauty from maths because everything is maths we live in a mathematical world so ultimately, it is based. This is physics and chemistry, which is maths. But we create this thing that's so beautiful and so experiential that my experience of it becomes part of my own personal narrative. Mm-hmm. Alcohol's a little part of that, mm-hmm. but I like to think like you do, it's actually it's about the flavour and the experience and the sensation, the texture. That's actually how I try and understand the world mm. is through that medium. And yeah. I, I don't do it very well. I have to work very hard at it. I don't have a particularly natural palate. But that's actually what helps me make sense of the world, which is ultimately why I kind of relied on it a little bit. It's like the world isn't making sense to me. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with this woman and she's trapped over there and I'm here mm. and we just want to be together. This whole unfair. I'm really busy at work. This makes sense to me. Yeah. And that was that was where the alcohol component of it 
mm. was problematic yeah. in that instance. But cool. since yeah. then, I do. And wine can be connecting as well. Yes. So Massive. I don't know whether at the time you were drinking uh, wine from her region. Yeah, yeah. there was, there was a lot of that going on. There was, there was a lot of um, Mendelssohnian more, but mm-hmm. being, being consumed. But, but, but there was, there was other stuff. It, 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 it was crisp, you know, it was December, so there was a lot of other stuff um, being consumed. But yeah, partly there would have, I, would, I didn't realise that at the time, that it was a metaphysical sort of wow. like, oh, if I'm drinking this, I'm kind of closer to, to my wife who, really? who isn't here. And interesting, our, our son is actually named after a, a wine, um, Chardonnay Isaacs. <laughs> no, <laughs> he's, he's not called Chardonnay, but his name comes from a very specific bottle, so his name is Corte, yeah. which isn't even a name. So he gets some odd looks when we're in Spanish-speaking countries. Um, yeah, there was, there was definitely an element of that. But I like we said about um, wine is connecting. One of the many wonders of wine. So let's take this Rioja. Just because I'm, as I'm speaking, I'm looking at the bottle of Rioja. <laughs> you know, Reserva 2018. So it's made in 2018. How long have those vines been in the ground? Who planted them? Mm. How many people have tended them? In consuming a glass of that, I am in some way connected to those people. Yeah, I mean, that, it blows when my I, mind. It blows my mind too. When I first thought of that, like maybe when I sort of first was seriously getting to wine, like five years ago, or something sitting at home thinking that, like connecting to that person that made it, that person's history, the history of the land, the mm. vines. Like you can go on and it's just, yeah, quite addictive. That, yeah. Because then it's like, I want to, that's why I want to work in wine. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this so Shiraz, I've, come on. I've got a good shoe in here, which go I've on. ruined by announcing it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> give does, me the shoe the in. Does the St. add up to a good wine? It's good at the mass reference, no. Bring out, bring out the equations. Bring out the. Let's, this is what people really want, right? They, they want like say? old does studies. It does it add up to a good boy? Yeah. People no. want, right? They want, they want somebody on Brighton Beach licking rocks. They want somebody referencing very outdated 1960s American military research about what rations they should give to soldiers. And maths. <laughs> That's they what they want ben on a wine pod. Randomly right? doing equations. Right. Let's. What's that? There's that. Um. There's a. There's a. There's a famous GIF or meme, um, but I don't know what it's from. I only understand the meme where there's a guy and he's got like loads of papers yeah. behind him and, and he's going. He's obviously trying to prove something. And he's got half a cigarette in his fingers. It's like that's what's going to be on the wall of this club in a minute. Like just me going, this is wine. This is why it's really easy. This blah blah blah, blah equals wine. <laughs> um. All right, so this Shiraz, very plush, very ripe. It is full and uh, like, wow, it's gonna, it's the same objectives that I was thinking about the Chardonnay. Like it's that really opulent style, mm. isn't it? Um, very giving. Yes. And uh, you get beautiful chocolate notes as well as that really intense plush fruit, mm-hmm. those blackberries and... and it- I, I, obviously, I can't say, I don't know what the alcohol is. There's a touch of warmth, but, it, but again, it feels like it's handling the alcohol quite well. And I like that that little hit of warmth because it just, it just enhances the spice character that's mm. in there. That, that, that slightly white pepper and slightly kind of, not, it's not Christmas, it's a little bit nutmeggy, a little bit cinnamon or something. But it's, if I close my eyes and taste that again, it takes me back to those very early days of the wine industry, drinking Aussie Shiraz. That was, that was my jam. It's like, yeah. I'm, I'm, and, and that's actually how I got my very first job was one of the questions in the interview was, and I've learned this since I've, I've interviewed people for jobs, which is awful, that's my least favorite thing to do. I should not be interviewing people for, for jobs. I should, nobody should have that position of power over somebody else. Awful, can't bear doing it. But one of the, the, one of the questions I would always ask in the interview is like, what's your favorite wine? Because you can sort of tell 
has somebody got a genuine interest in this or are they just mm. like they're going to be here for a few weeks mm. and go? Uh, and I was asked that question, you know, what's your favourite wine? And I was able to give something very specific in terms of, it was an Aussie Shiraz. Uh, and then I, uh, you know, when you, you look back and you go, why did I say that? At the time, I sort of, the question was, what's your favourite wine? I was like, well, it's, uh, it's 1990s. I can't believe I'm saying this. Like, if this gets out, I, you will know it's from you or your many listeners. Uh, well, it's a 1996 Hardy stamp for Australian Shiraz. But the kicker was, I, I sort of leaned in and went, that's the one my dad lays down. Oh, you said lays down. <laughs> oh, oh. I was all, it will surprise you all. I was a very precocious, pretentious 18 year old. At least you were only 18 when you said that. <laughs> well, yeah, I can be now forgiven. that you've had two nostalgic experiences of a Barossa Valley Shiraz and a Rioja. Not forgetting the first two wines. The, first the Chardonnay and the Possip. Yeah. Um, you yeah, have to make very the well lovely, very difficult decision yeah, of choosing your, your favourite of the day. Oh. You see, nobody wins unless everybody wins. In my <laughs> so everyone's a winner. But, but. This is why I, I'm going to be really... I've already derailed your wonderful show. This is where I'm going to be really awkward and sort of go, no, I don't like... You one thing to has to be one. better than another, and I don't like, despite the fact that we, we both judge it the same thing, <laughs> I don't like judging wines, I don't like competitions, I don't like scores. We can hide from um, you. Sometimes I do that, I let guests... Also, <laughs> technically, we've all won anyway, because this is about the joy of drinking. Yeah, it is indeed. And we this just has been very joyful. We just These, need a decision. All, all four <laughs> wines have great merit, and all four wines are great examples of what they are, and... I'm very, very lucky to have been invited here and taste them with you. Thank you. Um, You're very welcome. That's the wonderful thing about wine trade, isn't it? It's full of nice people, as demonstrated that people con are continually nice to me for absolutely <laughs> no reason at all. Um, Don't worry about hurting any of our feelings. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so tough. It's got to be... Stop staring at him, Ben. Sorry. It's, I'm, I'm used to that. <laughs> it's it's got to be Ben. I'm sorry, Which Sophia. One, I'm sorry. Not um, ben, you've got to choose mine. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, I know it's because I've listened before, so I know it's a competition between the two of you. But um, it's nice to actually I've get a point on the board. <laughs> yeah, I'm not interested in wines. I'm here for Ben and Ben alone. Um, That's what I heard. Do you know what? It, it, it's it's the syllable point. It's oh, the Croatian because oh, I thought you're definitely going to choose the Rioja. I've never tasted that before, and ne I've never heard of it before. I'm, I'm aware that there's wine in Croatia, the Dalmatian coast has a huge history. I've not tried a lot of Croatian wines, I think mm. I said a moment ago. Um, I, I've not heard of that variety, I've not tried it before. It's a completely new experience, but it was it's not just oh, it was a new experience, it was all right. It's really interesting. It was the kind of wine that now that I've tasted, I'm like, I want to go and learn more about that. I wonder, well, what okay. is this? Where does it come from? What's the history of the variety? Inspiring. Who's been growing it? How long has it been in the wine? Um, if it was between the reds, the Rioja really did mm. fire it up for me. Um, but the, the, the Croatian... Well, thank you very much, Lee. That's excellent news. Yeah. <laughs> well uh, done, Ben. Do you see, is, it check, is it check in the post? Or do, I, do you need an invoice? Or is this... Oh, I'll sort it out in cash, then. No, I mean, four, four cracking wines. So um, if... Yeah. Um, people at home want to learn more about you and what you do what is the best place to look you up I, i'm sure they wouldn't want to do that but um if, <laughs> if, sure if, if for some reason they've had a, a personality transplant and gone oh yeah <laughs> i like um 1960s american military research he sounds like my kind of guy um so i'm on 
I, I'm, I'm kind of on. A, I don't really do much. I'm, I'm on the, the the Twitters and the Instagrams as at Wineman One Four Seven. But Wine more than that, it, if if somebody did want to learn more about me, what they should do is um, look up the Maker and the Merchant, uh, which is a much less professional uh, podcast than this one. And the reason they should listen to that is. Um, Whilst I'm present, all the heavy lifting is done by my great friend Fergus Elias, who's the winemaker oh, at Balfour awesome. at Bush Heath. Yes, he's um, great. And so he brings like lots of technical, really interesting, insightful things, and then I just make fun of him uh, <laughs> by consistently talking about any English wine that isn't his. Uh, it's there's, hilarious. Um, there's a comedian, um, I can't, his name escapes me now, but he does a bit of a skit on podcasts, and it's all about oh, you were on my podcast, aren't you? And like, yes, I met you on her podcast. And it's like, podcasters, but all I need is podcasts. <laughs> well, yeah, that's all we do. It's just a revolving. Are you, are you on, where are you this week? You with, you know, it's a bit now. Okay. Um, no, um, again, thank you. I'm always uh, genuinely humbled that people ask me to come talk to them because um, I haven't really got a lot that's interesting to say. I, think, oh, I think you have. You I think have. you're full yes. of stories. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank and, you very uh, much. Let's do a little final cheers. cheers. Well you. done, Ben. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Ben, so that is the end of season one and what a ride it's been. Yeah, we've tried some good wines, had some great guests, haven't we? Which has been yes. excellent. So we've had uh, everyone from Elsa Buck, Andy Clark, Chris Patharona, Jacob Wise, Jessica Summer, Rob Buckhaven, Leandro Cabrini, Dan Kirby, Ben McGowan, Ingrid Bates, Simon Rollings, Kimberly Murray, Alicia Hansel, Malika Basu, and Nikki Hawks, and of course Lee, our latest guest, Lee Isaacs. So we'll be wow. coming back at some point uh, later in the year with Series 2, but it's been a fun ride and hopefully look forward to sharing some more wine with everyone soon. Yeah, I mean, what a stellar cast. We've had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, some A-listers in there. So <laughs> for yeah. now, goodbye. Bye, everyone. And remember to keep your eyes on our social media. And also, um, you can listen to this wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, or head over to wineflightpod.com, where you have the full list and the Spotify links on there as well. Bye. Bye. This was a podcast produced by Ben Franks Wine and edited by Catherine Ag. To find out more, visit benfranks.wine.